mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Try to... Um, I was going to finish up this letter to us today from Peter, but I think we'll have to uh, at least go one more week. Uh, by way of review, if you'll remember, in 419, our closing statement was, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him, to God, in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Have you committed your soul to God? Have you committed your soul to doing good? See, there's none good but God. So when you're doing good, you're doing what He's called you to do. And He is faithful. He's faithful to show up. He's faithful to empower you. He's faithful to take care of you. He's faithful to do the work that He started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. And, you know, over in 2 Timothy... I'm reminded that Paul spoke of the same thing in writing to Timothy. He says in, let's see, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That's the testimony you should be giving. Nor of me, his prisoner. Paul was in prison in Rome. Uh, it's one of the prison epistles or letters. But share with me in his sufferings, in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Listen, when you're going through suffering, you want to go through it doing good. You want to go through it in the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to your works, not according to what your energy can do, not according to what your ideas are, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed, it's been uncovered by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, through the good news to which I was appointed. This is Paul speaking to his child in the faith, Timothy. He says that God appointed him a preacher. So you preach to the unsaved, and you teach the saved to help them to grow. An apostle he was, he was all these things. He was a preacher. He was an apostle, one sent forth, and he was a teacher. This was his gifting. This was his calling. And his, he was a teacher specifically to the Gentiles, the Gentile church. 
and then 12 is why I wanted to get you there. For this reason, I also suffer these things. He's saying that's the reason he's in prison. But he's not freaking out that he's in prison. He knows that he's in the center of God's will. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know, do you know whom you have believed in? Do you know who you've trusted in? Are you seeking and trying to find out who Christ is, who this God is, who would pour out such great grace upon us? Paul says, I know whom I have believed. And he says, I am persuaded that he, that God is able to keep or guard what I have committed to him until that day. Notice Paul says he's committed his soul to him. He's committed his very life. He's committed his good works and everything that he does. And that's what Peter was saying to us over here in 419. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. Listen. The saints committed their souls. The people in the Bible, they knew that God was faithful. Do you know that today, that God is faithful? You can trust Him. He's never going to call you to do anything that He doesn't equip you to do or isn't equipping you to do. Because, see, sometimes that's the work that He's doing. As you go through it, He is preparing you. And when you're faithful today, He's going to give you more to do tomorrow. Because all we are called to do in Christ is to be faithful. To be faithful. And guess what? That's a fruit of the Spirit. You cannot be faithful without the Holy Spirit to God. So then we come to this morning's text where Peter, down the corridors of time, writing possibly from a place in Rome where persecution has broken out by Nero. Nero, I don't know if you remember, he... Oh my goodness, Paul was arrested. He's in prison there where we just read in uh, Timothy. He's in jail for his faith, nothing more. He shares the gospel with Nero. Nero rejects the gospel. A little bit later, they let Paul go. He's released for a brief moment. Meanwhile, Nero goes crazy after rejecting the gospel, and he burns down Rome. He burns down. They, I mean, you know, people that, that are worldly, they, they want to keep building. So they allow terrorists, they allow rioters to tear down buildings so they can build up new ones. They can make it new. This stuff happens all the time. Nero burnt the whole city down. Why, well, he played a violin, they said. He went crazy because he rejected the gospel. And then he blamed it on the Christians. He said the Christians burned the city down because he needed to blame it on somebody. And then they began to round up Christians and arrest them. And they rearrested Paul where they cut his head off just because he believed in Jesus. The same thing, Peter will die for his faith. And he writes us, while all of this is going on, Listen, sometimes we don't take into account what is going on when they're writing these letters. Obey the ruling authorities. Wait a minute. Nero is killing Christians and you're saying obey? As long as it doesn't violate the word of God, you still have to obey the laws of the land. 
we're called to be disobedient only when they tell us to do something that interferes with our relationship with God. You know, such as uh, follow lies, tell other people lies, encourage lies. That's what they got going on in the media today. Many pastors are saying if you don't lie to people, oh, they don't say that. They say you need to tell people that wearing a mask is a good thing. You need to tell people that taking a vaccine is a good thing. Listen, those are lies. Those are lies. I was talking with a gentleman yesterday. Most people don't know, but the Gates Foundation, who is part of all of this vaccine, they were kicked out of India for, for doing vaccines and for all of the maladies that happened to people, all the birth defects, and even the sterilization of women. But if you say that out loud in public, they ridicule you. They criticize you. They say, oh, you're just afraid of vaccines. No, I'm afraid of your science because your science is lying science because you don't even know that there's a male and a female. So all of your science now, you can talk all you want. To me, your science is wrong. You don't believe in a creator? So I'm not going to tell lies. I'm called to be an ambassador for Christ and to teach the truth. Jesus is truth. Truth is a person. And if you don't know him, you need to know him. And you need to commit your soul to him who is faithful, who will get you across the finish line and get you into heaven. There's no other name on heaven and earth by which men can be saved. No other name. No other way to leave this earth alive other than Jesus. And so Peter, after, you know, remember Peter, he denied Christ three times because he was afraid. Fear will do things to you. As they say, pressure will bust a water pipe. And when you are under pressure, that fear will make you pop. And your true heart comes out. And that's why we have to grow and we have to spend time with God so that when the pressure comes, when the, when the, when the attack comes, when the suffering's there, we know who our faithful creator is. We know who we've committed our life to. We know that he's alive. And we have a relationship with him. And we know that be, to be absent from the body is going to be present with God. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. You get more when you see him face to face. There's a blessing. There's crowns. There's rewards. And so we have to learn this. We don't learn this watching TV. We don't learn this chasing the world. We don't learn this on the job. We learn this by spending time in the word, prayer, and fellowship. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what? I have herd, mental or herd immunity. I don't know if I've shared this with you, but I have herd immunity. I heard about Jesus. I believed in his blood. And now I'm immune to anything the world can throw at me. I don't have to worry about it. That's not simplicity. That's truth. When you're covered in the blood, you're good. Doesn't mean you're not supposed to grow. But I heard, and by the grace of God, I believed. Have you heard? Do you believe? Are you committing your soul, everything about your life, to a faithful creator? Paul did, Peter did, the disciples did, the apostles did, the early saints did. You can read about it in the book of Acts. Let's look. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. The elders who are among you I exhort, 
I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd, feed the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's stop there. Father, we cast our cares upon you. We know that everything that we worry about and anxious about, we know that it matters to you. That our souls mattered so much that you sent your son Jesus to become our kinsman redeemer. To become a man. And to be an example for us. And then to lay his life down. Because that's what he was anointed and called to do. He poured out his blood to pay for our sins. And we heard that news and we believe it. And now, Lord, we want you to use us for your glory. We commit all that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength to you, to a faithful creator. Teach us today by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Peter 5.1, the elders who are among you, I exhort. Now, remember, he's writing to those scattered abroad to the dispersion, the pilgrims of the dispersion we've seen in chapter 1, verse 1 or 2, something like that. And he's writing to them, and now he's writing to their elders uh, in this letter. So it's a witness. He's writing to everybody. As they read it, he's speaking specifically to the elders, the presbyter, or presbyteros is the word. It's talking about the shepherds, the overseers. Notice it is plural. Who are among you, it means the seniors, the elder. Uh, it infers the spiritually mature, those that are older in the faith. He says, I exhort you, I beseech you. It, it could have been translated. It means to call near. It means to address. He says, I desire what? What does Peter desire in closing? Think about it. He's writing a letter. He, he's talked about sanctification. He's talking about the precious blood of Jesus. He's talking to them about suffering. He's talking to them about committing their soul to God, who is a faithful creator, who put order in the universe, who called out his church. He was instructed everybody that they have gifts, talents, and abilities, and that they're supposed to hupotasso underneath the proper place. Remember, that's a military ranking. He's given us all the full instructions of how we're supposed to live in the body of Christ. How we're supposed to live. And now he wants to speak to the elders. You know, in, in the Jewish mentality, this is talking about the 70 ruling leaders of the Sanhedrin. 
They had to be a certain age. They had to be of only one. Why? They had to be all of these things in order to rule the Jewish nation and, and all of their people. And it was something that God had set up. And he's talking about those that, and you can read more about it, like in 1 Timothy and, and Titus. I'm not, I probably won't go there, but there's a lot of requirements. You know, like the husband of one wife, not, not the wife of one husband. These are things that bother people. But if we're going to hoopo tasso underneath the mighty hand of God, which is what he's getting ready to call us to do, we have to understand that he's faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he's a good God, that he came to save us, and he knows how to get us across the finish line perfectly, that he knows what he's doing. You know, when you call somebody to work on your car or your house or you, you hire an electrician, you, if you don't know nothing about it, what are you going to do? You've got to trust that they are the professional. They are the ones that can take care of all of the stuff that you've asked them to do. This is God. This is the ancient of days. Isn't he the elder of everybody? He's the most elder. He's the ancient of days is one of his names. He's, he has no beginning and no end. You can trust him since he's spoken, created. And when he spoke and created the church who has a head of himself, Jesus Christ, he can give us perfect instruction, perfect power, perfect salvation. He can give us perfect gifts, and he can allow us to walk in them and to minister to one another with those gifts if we will, by faith, trust him. So notice he says the elders. It's plural, very important. When you see the word elders or presbyteros, it needs to be more than one person. There needs to be an understanding that, that not just one person makes up a church, but everybody makes up the church. And there's different ages. There's younger people. There's, there's middle people. There's people that just got saved. Then there's people that's been walking in the faith, and they're supposed to be passing the torch. They're supposed to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and being an example out in front of other people by how they live. They're not supposed to be perfect, so you don't follow them if they're not following Jesus but you're supposed to follow and come underneath their leadership because God has placed them there. And they are much older. It's like a baby coming out. Now listen, because we're going to get into this here in a minute. Children telling parents how to parent them. We're going to get into this in a minute where it's going on everywhere in our culture because it's upside down from what God called us to do, which is train them in the way that they're supposed to go. So he says elders, and now listen to me, there's supposed to be more than one. There's supposed to be other people that are helping advise. There's supposed to be other people growing in the body of Christ. And, there, and there's always going to be people that are older. You should have, um, we call it a Paul in your life, someone that's older than you that you can tell things that would send you to prison so that you can get them out of your chest, off of your heart, and then you're supposed to have a Timothy in your life. Someone that you are sowing into. Someone that you're sharing what you know about. This is just called discipleship. It's called the body of Christ 101. You're helping people grow. This mic doesn't seem to be on my shirt right. Oh, that's what it is. I didn't hook it to my shirt. Sorry. Interruption of the flesh. 
elders, you know, over in, let's just back up a couple pages, James chapter 5. I just want to make a point here. You can see this, James chapter 5, a couple pages back. He speaks of the same thing, 5.13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Listen, we've just been talking about suffering. What do you do when you're suffering? It says, let him pray. What do you do when you're suffering? It's to turn you to God, run to God. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In other words, encourage other people. When you're cheerful, share others, share psalms and sing, uh, speak to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. But 14, look at this. Is anyone among you sick, weak, feeble? Let him call for the elders. Notice there's an S on it again. The elders of the church and let them pray. Now you have somebody else praying for you. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, but listen, it's not one person. It's not a rock star pastor. It's not an elder that, that everything's on him. Because we're pointing to Jesus. So when somebody's sick or you're praying, you want more than one person to lay hands on him. Why? Because God's the one that's going to heal him. If anybody's healed, it's because God healed him. All the other people are doing are being faithful to hupotasso and obey God's word. And when a couple people are laying hands on somebody, guess what? When they get healed, you don't go, I think it was Bob. I think it was Fred. No, it was God. But when you have a TV show or a televangelist, it's only one person. It's all about him. No names, Benny Hinn. It's all about him. There's a bunch of other ones. And then the attention goes to him instead of the gift. See, the attention is supposed to go to the one who did the healing, not to the person who's just hupotassoing under God and has been given a gift to use for the manifold grace of the body of Christ. So we want to always see that there's supposed to be more than one there when it's possible. It's not always possible, not always plausible. But he says to the elders back in our text, 5.1 of First Peter, he says to the elders who are among you, I exhort, I desire, I'm addressing you. And notice what he does, which I love with Peter. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Notice what he didn't say. Since I am an apostle, since I am Peter the Great, since I am the first, since I am the only, no, listen, listen. He put himself on level ground with the other elders, with the rest of the people in the church because he knows he's been called, he's been appointed. Now listen, remember what he did before? Remember he said, if all betray you, Jesus, I won't. Remember his place where he was at? See, we see the growth of Peter. Before, he said, if everybody else does, I won't. He thought of himself higher than everybody else. He thought of himself as being better than everybody else. And everything that he went through in his suffering, everything that he went through when he denied Christ three times, see, that was to bring him to a place to see that he was just like everybody else. And it's the same thing that's going on in our life. 
that we all need Jesus. We all need his power. We all need his strength. We all need to understand his truth. We're all called to come and be part of the body of Christ. And we all have different giftings. But the ground is level at the cross. We have to remember that. The ground is level at the cross. In fact, Jesus says, I hate the work of the Nicolaitans. See, this is the work of the Nicolaitans right here that I'm up on a stage. Nico means above, and laetans is laity. He hates the work of people that act like they're above the rest of the church, the rest of the laity. There's different giftings. Nobody is above. We're all the same. We just have different callings, and we're called to be faithful with our calling, faithful with our gifts, faithful in what he's called us to do. And then we all make up the body of Christ, and we all receive the same rewards according to our faithfulness. We will be rewarded. So Peter comes to this place where he says he's a fellow elder, but he also says he's a witness, a martis. A martis, we've discussed this many times. So he tells you where his power comes from. See, a martis is one who is martyred for their faith. They're dead to self, alive to Christ. But if you'll remember with me in Acts 1.8, when the boys were questioning Jesus, interrupting what he was trying to tell them after his resurrection, he said, they said, when's all this going to happen? He said, that's not for you to know. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a martyr for me, to be a witness for me throughout Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You want to know where the power comes from? You want to know what's going on? How do I use my gifts? How do I use my talents? How do I understand the Bible? By faith, by asking God for power to be a witness for him. Not by, I want power, I want to do my own life, I want to chase what everybody else is chasing in America, I want to live like the world, but I want all the rewards of heaven. That's not what he's called us to do. He's called us to be witnesses that would lay their life down and fully commit their life, even yes to death, in order to see others come to salvation in Christ. So he, Peter... No longer, if everybody else denies you, he's down here now being brought to a place of maturity. And he's a fellow elder and a witness. Witness of what? What are you witnessing of? The testimonies of Christ. The sufferings of Christ. He's witnessing to others what Christ underwent. What happened to Christ? What did he die for? What did he give his life for? The affliction that Christ went through so that you and I could come to salvation. And of course, with that, you know, they're reminded that he was there. He was one of the original apostles, but he's not using it as a weapon to make them listen. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. He's beseeching them. And then he said that he's also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Notice that he's putting himself right in the same place still. He's not saying, hey, I'm the boss, pay attention. He's not saying, hey, even though you're an elder, I'm elder than you are. 
He's just sharing that the body, everybody in the body is the same. Everybody in the body has the same God that died for them, the same blood. But we're called to do this. And then there's a level of authority where God is placed in the body older people that are supposed to be passing it on. You're, you're passing the torch to the next generation, to the younger saints. You're helping one another grow. But he's going to be a partaker. That's uh, the word koinonios. It means a sharer or an associate, a companion, that we have a, a partnership of the glory that will be revealed. Now remember, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, when, when Christ, they were up there and they seen Christ with Moses and Elijah, and, his, and, and Christ's clothing became whiter than a launderer's uh, uh, fire. He became pure white. They beheld some of the glory then, but he's talking about a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. It's not been uncovered yet, that we'll see when Christ comes, when we all see him face to face, we are all going to partake of the same glory of God, the same rewards when he is revealed. When we see him in the clouds, when he comes the second time. So he's placing himself on level ground. It's so important that if you're going to be a leader, if you want to be somebody in the body of Christ, is to understand that none of us are above anybody else. We have different gifts, and we're just called to be faithful. It's so important to understand that. And that's where God has brought Peter to after these years in his life. And so he's going to exhort, and he's using uh, 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 these things to help them understand that we're all the same, but I'm exhorting you that this would be the will of God. This is what God would want us to do, to be a good witness and to witness the sufferings of Christ and know that there's going to be further glory revealed, rewards in heaven. And then he says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now listen to me, because there's a lot of, I, I was reading this in the King James and, and it's a lot different in the King James. In fact, it doesn't even say shepherd. It says feed the flock of God. Notice whose flock it is. Listen, very important. He says feed the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Notice whose flock it is. It's God's flock. We are God's sheep. All of us together, we are God's inheritance. He gets us. We get Christ. He gets us. In his family. It's God's flock. It doesn't belong to some pastor. Listen, because I've seen pastors say, this is my flock. This is my sheep. This is my church. Really? Good luck with that. Good luck with that because the Bible says it all belongs to God. You are a steward over it. And you're not to do it in the wrong way. You're not to perform your stewardship in the wrong way because then it would not be a faithful overseer. In fact, he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. That's what's going on right here. We're feeding right now. We're tending right now. Feeding.
Elders are supposed to be able to teach. Bishops do other work. Deacons do other work. But if you want to be a leader in the church, you have to be able to teach the scriptures. You have to be able to teach them. And you do that so that the flock can eat. Listen, because what's important, if we are flesh and blood, and, and I make sure you get some McDonald's sandwiches, I'm not advertising, by the way. If I make sure you get some food for your flesh, and I ignore your spiritual soul, am I really being an elder that God has called? See, because it's about the spirit, and your spirit needs to have manna from heaven, the bread of life, the word of God, and it needs to be instructed in the way it's supposed to go because your flesh, when you feed it, will try to dominate your spirit. It will try to deceive your spirit. You have the enemy of your soul is, is, is your flesh, is the world, and is Satan. That's the three enemies of your soul. That's the three enemies that want to keep you out of heaven, your own self, the enemy. You look in the mirror, you say, I found the enemy. My Bible, study, my Bible study leader, Mike Abney, used to say, he'd get up in the mirror in the morning, he'd go, no, no, no. Because he knew that his body was going to try to tell him to do something that wasn't godly. That wasn't being led by the Spirit. So he tells him to shepherd the flock, to tend the flock. Now, if you remember, you know what? The flock is a sheep or a group of believers, a group of disciples. Um, let's just look. Go over to John, the book of John 21. Is that in the New Testament? John means God is gracious or the grace of God. If you remember Peter, now what was Peter? Well, listen to me because this Peter's following an example, telling us to follow an example, telling us to be an example. Well, what did Christ tell him? He said, he said, Peter, this night before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But when you've returned to me, strengthen the brethren. And then after he had, had, had betrayed him and Christ goes in the grave, Peter says, I'm going back fishing. Peter backslides, and all the other disciples follow him. They were backslidden. They went back fishing. Jesus called them away from fishing and said, I'll make you fishers of men. Men's souls is what he was referring to. And so he comes to them when they're out fishing. And they're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Because he says, cast your net on the other side, on the right side. And then the net is full. And one of the, one of the guys says, it's, it's the Lord. And so Peter just dives in the water, impetuous Peter. And he swims to shore. And we're told in John 21, 14, it's the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And then in 15, it says this. This is John 21, 15, because I want you to see where God has restored. He is restoring. He's going to restore him three times. But what's he going to do? He's going to tell him what he is called to do, how he is called to shepherd and feed and tend his lambs, his sheep. But they're not Peter's, 
And that's what he's clearly making a point of here in chapter 5 today. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. See, that's the word bar, Simon bar Jonah. And he says, do you love me more than these? And he's pointing to the fish. He's pointing to the disciples. Hard to know. But you can't love anything ahead of God. God has to have first place. But listen to me. It's very important that we understand what he's really saying to him. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Show them where to graze at. Keep them. Tend them. Take care of them. He's talking about young baby lambs. Now listen to me. What you have to know is in the Greek, they're both using two different words. In the Greek, Jesus says, do you agape me? It's unconditional love. I love you more. And and what Peter is saying, because God's bringing him to a place of realizing who he is, Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. He says agape, he uses a different Greek word because it's really hard to use the word agape. Oh, I agape you. It's an unconditional love that's only done by the Spirit. And you meet people where they're at no matter what they're going through and who they are. And you still love them because you want to feed them the Word of God, the love of God. And you want them to come to salvation. So Peter knows he can't use that word. You have to understand that in the text. Now, I was listening to a guy the other day, and he goes, he goes, I don't know why people do this and that, and they wrangle about the words. It's not that big a deal. No, it's a great big deal. And I can't believe that this guy is on the radio saying that it's not that big a deal. It's a great big deal to know that I cannot love you with an agape love unless it's the Spirit of God through me doing it because I don't have that capacity. See, phileo is the city of brotherly love. It's just a brotherly love. Okay, yeah, but I'm not going to lay my life down for you. But see, God is bringing Peter to this place. God is bringing him all the way through because what happened with Peter? If all these deny you, I won't deny you. I got this sword here. I'll die for you, Lord. And then he didn't die for him. He didn't lay his life down for him. He didn't become a martyr for him. He ran. He fled. He, he denied him three times. And yet God continued to be faithful to do what he was doing. He allowed Peter to give the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2. He allowed 3,000 people to come to salvation, even when Peter had just returned from being unfaithful. And God is restoring him here, and he's going to ask him three times. And man, that just, that just drives you crazy, doesn't it, when you think you're already there, and somebody keeps asking you, did you get it, did you get it, did you do it? You already asked me if we're going. Of course we're going. I told you we're going. See, the only one that can really be faithful is God. And the only way that you can really be faithful is through the Spirit of God. And that's why He equips us. But watch what He says again, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? He said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. See, He can't say it. Because he knows, he's come to this place of a, a little bit of humility where he knows he cannot say, I unconditionally love you and I'll die. But God is coming to him and restoring him. And he's going to do it three times, just like he denied him three times. He's going to do it three times. Look at 17. 
Oh, wait a minute. He said, tend my sheep. Guide them. Feed them. Take care of them. Shepherd them properly. Be an example for them. 17, he said to him a third time. Now watch. Because God comes down to his level. He meets him where he's at. Watch what he says. Watch what Christ says the third time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? He doesn't say agape the third time. He says, I'll come and meet you where you're at, and I'll lead you higher. I'll create in you a heart of faithfulness. I will be your strength. I will teach you to unconditionally love if you'll follow me. Now watch, that's what he says at the end of the line. He says, do you phileo? He met Peter where he was at because he's trying to get Peter to see who he is and that the only way he can change is to humble himself by recognizing who he is and then coming higher by the power of the Holy Spirit, by listening and hupotassoing underneath the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the plan of God for his life. So he's, he says to him here in 17b, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. See, when you've got that knowledge, oh my goodness, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he adds this commentary, Jesus does, most assuredly, or I tell you the truth, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, you put on your own clothes, you walk where you wish, you did what you wanted to do, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Listen to me, because he's, because he's a martyr. He's dying to self. He's given his life for Jesus now. This is what happens when he grows. This is what happens when he goes. This is what happens when he listens. He stops doing what he wants to do, and he begins to do what God wants to do, and it's going to bring persecution. It's going to bring suffering. It's going to bring death. And it even says, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Listen, your death glorifies God. Dying to self, and then when you die the right way, as a witness, as a martyr, with a good testimony, it glorifies God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. See, this is the way. He was going to glorify God is in following. And it means to be in the way with Christ. He restored him this way. And he told him what he was ordained to do. What he was called to do. To feed the lambs. To teach the lambs. So now years later as he's growing. As he's writing this letter to encourage. What does he say to other shepherds. To other elders that might have some other ideas. He says feed the flock of God. Because this is what Christ told him to do, and he's seen that this is what we're called to do, is to teach others, to feed others, to make sure that other sheep are looking in the right place, grazing in the right place, eating the right food, and not being deceived by a bunch of charlatans that are fleecing the flock. And that's all you can do is be faithful to do that, and then it's up to those sheep to listen, to decide in their conscience that they want to obey The truth that was handed down to them. Feed the flock. Tend the flock. Be concerned about the flock. Minister to the flock. Give the flock truth. Look at Acts 20. Acts 20. 
verse 28. I didn't even mark this, did I? 2028, listen to this. Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, if you remember. He, they met him at, the, at Miletus. Said he's going bound, doesn't count his life dear, verse 24, that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. But he says in verse 28, Therefore take heed, beware to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourself, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Watch, remember that I... Warned you day and night with tears. Remember he taught three years there at Ephesus. They loved Paul dearly. Listen, that's what's going on in the church. Think about it. 2,000 years later, these savage wolves have continued to lie, continue to lead people away, continue allowed the, the upside-down leadership in the church that they're not following the hupotasso that God has outlined. They're not just sharing the word of God. They're trying to build their own kingdoms. Instead of following the example of feeding the flock the word of God. And he actually told the Ephesian elders, I have not failed to give you the full counsel of God. And that's why our movement, as it is, the Spirit leading us, we teach through the Scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept, word by word. And we give everybody a chance to see what's going on. A lot of times people will take a topical. And you can take and twist Scripture real easy when you go from one place to the next and you make up a topical thing and, and, and you just take Scripture out of context. You can really twist things. be a good name for a band, wouldn't it? Twisted scripture? Not a good thing to do with scripture. That's an old joke. Never mind. So, we want to see that. Now, now why am I telling you this? See, I'm the pastor. I'm one of the elders. There's elders. I'm the shepherd. But if the shepherd's not feeding you and tending you and taking care of you and doing it the way Peter's talking about, then you might be in the wrong place. Or you might want to take this and show it to your shepherd. That this is what the Bible says a shepherd's supposed to do. He's supposed to feed and tend and make sure that the food is good and not just teach anything. Not get up and go and Google sermons. Not get up and go and find out, uh, oh, what do I teach? Let me just teach what I taught last time. But you're supposed to be building a relationship with God and sharing from the relationship and sharing from the Word of God. Not perfect. Please don't hear me say that. But being perfected by the work of God through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So he says, tend them, feed the flock. It's God's flock. It's God's sheep. 
We've been given gifts to be a steward of and hand out the spoils of the inheritance from the storehouse in heaven. And then he says, uh, they're among you, but serving as overseers, overseeing, that's what we were just talking about, oversee, see that you oversee. The King James says, take the oversight. It means to, to look upon, to inspect, uh, to oversee or look after and care for. See, if I'm the pastor or I'm the elder and I come to you and I go, hey, you know what, I noticed this. You're not supposed to get mad at me. I'm trying to take the oversight. I'm trying to let you know that I see something in your life that's not exactly right. If you remember the shepherd uh, from John 10 Jesus talking about being the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the great shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd, would, would, when he would put him into the pen at night, he would, put, he would put his staff down. And as they went through, he would check them for burrs. He would check them for cuts. He would check them for, for things that had happened during the day when they were out. And then he would mend those wounds, and he would make sure they're okay. And then when he'd come back in the morning, he would say, their name. See, that's going to happen. When the trumpet sounds, he's going to say your name. And then my sheep will hear my voice, and I know them, and, and they'll follow me. That's going to be the rapture of the church, but it's also the way we're living right now so that we're learning to hear his voice. He's learning to know us. And we're having this relationship that's being built together. So a shepherd has a great, great, just back up a couple pages to Hebrews 13. A shepherd has a, a calling that, that, that it's not there. Listen, here, I'm going to tell you. Listen, being a pastor is not a career. If you're looking for a career, go be, a, go be something else. It's a calling. The biggest problem in America and in the world today is that we're making things. See, when I was growing up, doctors had a calling. They had a bedside manner. A doctor was doing all kinds of things, but he was concerned about his patients. You had a little town, and that doctor knew your family, and it was a calling. It wasn't a career. But now, everywhere you look, people have a career because we're following the American dream. We're no longer in our calling of what God created us for, and we keep following these careers. So what does it become about? It becomes about money. It becomes about my future. It becomes about my retirement. It becomes about who I am and what I'm doing because I'm supposed to keep up with the Joneses and do what the world tells me to do instead of my calling that God has me to hupo tasso under. Very difficult. So look at um, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who rule over you. He's talking about the elders who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the people that are your elders and over you, they should be growing. They should be learning to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because there's a consistency in the Spirit. There's a consistency in the word of God. It doesn't mean that, that the pastor is never going to be any different. God's not. He's always the same. His character is immutable. It doesn't change. But you want somebody that's not given to change to be your pastor. 
They don't chase every wind of doctrine, every, every stream that comes by yelling, here's a new thing. You don't want a pastor that's chasing that stuff because then he's not leading the sheep to good still water like Psalms 23 talks about, to, to good grass like Psalms 23 talks about. And then in 17 it says, and see, I'm, I'm the elder, I'm a pastor. I, I'm, I'm sharing this with you though. It's some verses that you need to think about before I hit the rest of the text of Peter. Obey. Obey, hupotasso, those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account let him do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. See, an elder has to give an account of how he was faithful with his sheep, how he tended to flock, how he lived his life, how he was an example. And it's very important to understand that, that there is, even for a teacher, there's a, there, there's a higher degree of um, punishment. So now back in our text, I just wanted to read those verses to you just to, to let you chew on them. And we'll talk about shepherding the flock, feeding the flock, serving as an overseer, concerned about their health, concerned about what's going on, not by constraint, King James, compulsion, new King James, but willingly. Listen, it's not a career. It's not something, oh, man, I have to get up and go to church again. I have to talk to somebody about Jesus again. What am I going to say? I'm going to have to Google a sermon. I'm going to have to find out what to tell somebody. No, no, not if you're spirit-led. Not if you're doing it willingly. Not if you have a relationship with God. Not if you're, if you're, if you're a child of God. In, in your calling of God, there's nothing hard about being privileged to do what God has given you as a gift to do. There's absolutely nothing hard. But are you willing to surrender and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so that He can lift you up? It's willingly. It's not by force. Nobody's forcing me to share the gospel with you. Nobody forces me to share the gospel with people in the streets. I'm privileged to be able to share the good news of the gospel and impact somebody's future in eternity. So, be an overseer. Feed the flock. Not with force, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, that's what the New King James says. Listen, listen, the, there, there's a little thing going on here because the, the King James says, not for filthy lucre, but with a ready mind. Instead of eagerly. See, there's, there's a lot going on there. That dishonest gain I can understand better. But eagerly doesn't mean with a ready mind. A willing mind. A mind of Christ. To me it doesn't anyway. 
So filthy lucre, that's sordid gain. We don't do the gospel. If you, get, if you become a pastor, an elder, you want to come to the church because you want to make money, stay home. Find something else to do. Because the kingdom of God is not about money. It's not about a career. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pay pastors. We shouldn't make sure they're taken care of. But it's not about the money. It's about the calling. It's not about money. And it's definitely not about sordid gain. I looked it up. It's not about uh, uh, dishonest gain. It's not about profiting, usually with a sense of dishonesty. You know, the pastors that fleece the flock, the pastors are wearing $10,000 suits, and you're sitting there preaching about somebody being homeless and their needs being met, and you're walking around in a $10,000 suit. You're driving a Bentley. Now, I'm not telling you that having those things makes there something wrong with you, but God's kingdom, Jesus, you know, Jesus... He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had one set of clothing. Yet in the spirit, he knew that he owned everything in the universe. It wasn't about money. If it was about money, as you hear some word of faith preachers teach, Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was driving a Bentley. Jesus was driving. Jesus was wearing the best. Are you crazy? Where does it tell you that in the Bible? God doesn't want his people broke. Of course he doesn't. But we're talking about spiritual things. So when people get into the pulpit or people want to become an elder or people do that in order to just gain money, they might as well be in a career somewhere. They might as well be chasing the world because this is not about money. It's about loving the sheep. It's about a calling that God gives you. It's about getting the word of God out and saving the souls of mankind. Yet, we have so many people that are driving Lear jets, flying Lear jets. I mean, they're pastors. Their flock, some of their flock probably doesn't have food at night. You know, you have the pastors that say, I'll tell you what you do. We're going to have a bill burning party. You can watch them on TV. I have a bill-burning party. You take your bills, and you burn them in the trash can. Don't even pay them. Just send us the money, and God's going to bless you. Really? Or the one now they're doing is tear the corner off the $100 bill, and you keep that, and you plant it, and it's going to grow, but send us the $100 bill. Like, no, 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 no. No, I'm the, I'm the weaker one. I'm going to send you the corner, and I'm going to keep the $100 bill. You plant it. You plan it when it gets to your church. I mean, this is, this is nonsense. But you know what? People in their flesh, they eat it up. They eat it up. I don't know if you guys, you guys ever got one of them prayer cloths in the, in the mail where you're supposed to lay it beside your bed and you kneel on it. And it's been anointed and then you send them all your money. And I'm like, what? It's insanity. But it's everywhere. People that are preaching the gospel for dishonest gain. And then when you don't, when they go, well, you ain't going to send no money because God knew you didn't have no faith. That's why you ain't got no money. I'm like, oh, verbal manipulation to make people feel bad and then tell them they ain't got no faith. 
when they're trying to live for God and they have nothing and you're standing there in a $10,000 suit lying to them. Never mind, I better get off of this. Listen, it's not for dishonest gain or filthy lucre to try to gain money. We're not building a church. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. All we're called to do is be faithful in our gift and tell people the truth and let God do the work of the ministry. I get crazy about this stuff. It drives me nuts. But with an eager mind or ready mind, are you ready? And that really means a cheerful readiness, a cheerful willingness, joy in what you're doing. Verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. Or the King James says, uh, over God's heritage, God's portion. You're not supposed to be lords over to control or exercise dominion over or to bring somebody underneath your power. Listen, I will tell you, I'll always tell you that all I'm trying to do is encourage you to get into the Word of God and be the child of God that the Spirit of God has for you. To follow the Word of God, learn to listen to His voice and be the part of the body you're called to be. But in the church today, we're so fragmented. We bounce from church to church. We're looking for the perfect church. We're looking for a place for our kids to be babysitted. We're looking for all of these things that have nothing to do with life and godliness. Not supposed to lord it over. That's what the world does. Everything that we're doing in the church today seems to look more and more like the world. I call it businesses, budgets, and building programs. It's all being done just like the world instead of the Spirit of God building the church of God for the glory of God. We put people on the board just because they're a banker. Oh, they must know how to deal with finances. Let's put them on the board. But what about the Word of God? How can they be an elder just because they're a banker? They don't even know the Word of God. An elder needs to know the Word of God. In fact... The Bible teaches us that you cannot be an elder unless you can teach the Word of God. doesn't mean that you have to be a perfect teacher and have the gift of teaching, but you're not afraid to stand up and teach the Word of God. That's an elder, somebody that's learning the Word of God. It's not anything to do with their position in society. But we have that upside down. And we've been entrusted. We have a heritage. It's God's flock it's God's sheep it's God who died for the souls of mankind and he says but we're supposed to be examples to that flock you know that's that's what the head sheep does where does everybody follow the head sheep there's a sheep out front in every flock and, and, and they follow the head sheep as an example. And if that example is just running off into raging waters, I don't know if you guys know that, that during the uh, uh, rainy seasons like in Israel where they still have all these flocks of sheep, waters can all of a sudden just be great monsoons coming out of the hills. And a sheep stick his head in, his wool gets full, and he's sucked right into that water. And he's whisked away. Well, if that's your example out in front, that everything that happens, let's go follow that. Let's go get in that water. And water being the move of the Spirit we see in the church today, where everything that happens, people say, well, they're doing this over there, and we could have a good church if we would start a bus ministry, and we'd start this ministry and that ministry, and they're laughing in the Spirit over there. Listen, just teach the Word of God. 
and they'll come. Just share the truth of God and get people encouraged to get in the word of God. This, this is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide the bone and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We want the word of God to examine us. He's the great physician, the ancient of days. And he knows what's going on here no matter what you pretend, no matter what you say. He knows what's going on in the heart. And we want God to be the one when we look into the perfect law of liberty to deal with us. Not dishonest gain. Not lording it over like I am the boss. You do as I say or leave. Now there are times when you ask people to leave, but that's a different sermon. But being examples. That's the word typos. Typos, T-Y-P-O-S, an example. It, it means as a die struck, a stamp, a shape, a model for imitation, a pattern, a print. We're looking at Jesus. Jesus looked at the Father, and he came and did everything that the Father did. He became the icon or the image of the living God, and he walked among us. He was God in, in the flesh. And he became the example. We look at him to be the example. So then the elders of the church need to be Christ-like. They need to come because they're called, because there's an anointing. They're not looking for money. See, because if it was about money, Jesus would have had everything. He would have been born in a palace. He would have had chariots going before him. He had a guy, John the Baptist, he had a guy that had honey down his beard and wild locusts hanging out. Going, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And people are like, what is this nut talking about? If it would have been, as someone has said, if it would have been the world today with businesses, budgets, and buildings, they would have had the, 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 whoever, the, whoever the big star is today in Hollywood, they'd have put his face on posters and said, come on, we're going to go find the Christ. We're going to follow him. And they would have advertised it and marketed it and had everybody there stirred up in a frenzy. No. That's not what happens. This is something about humbling yourself. This is something about coming to God because you know you're sick and you need a doctor. This is about coming to God because the Spirit of God is leading you to the truth of God. And then you walk in your gifting. And He's exhorting us. He's encouraging us all to be faithful in what God has called us to do and be examples to the rest of the flock. why it's troubling when you see people who are supposed to be pastors and men of God on TV doing things that are not good examples, promoting things that are not godly or biblical. That's why that's, that's, why that's a big deal. That's why we would talk about them and say, don't follow them, because they're not being a godly example to the rest of the flock of the sheep. And if you follow them, you will end up in a ditch, because when the blind lead the blind, they both end up in a ditch. Four, why would we do this? Why would we be faithful? Why would we listen? Why would we follow what Peter is saying? Because Peter has grown in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Four says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The crown of glory that does not fade away. 
He's the head shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's getting ready to come back. He's going to appear soon. Peter's given us this. Think about 2,000 years ago, he's saying when he appears, he's coming again soon and very soon. And he's going to give us rewards. Paul talks about running in the in the games and receiving a crown, receiving a wreath. And they make those wreaths out of what's called, uh, I, I'm going to probably say this wrong, uh, uh, amarethin flower. I guess, the, yeah, I know, it's, it's what the word is, amarethin. It's a flower, though, that when even when it's dead, you put water on it, and it comes back, it takes shape again. And they would make the reefs out of them. I asked my wife about it, and she said, oh, yeah, look, they make even flour out of this flower. They grind it up, and you can buy that flour today. I was like, okay. I but it doesn't fade away. It's a crown. It's a badge of royalty. It's a prize for running the race to win and running it God's way. It's something that you get. It's a symbol of honor in heaven. And the Bible talks about a lot of crowns. Let me tell you a couple of them. Over in uh, uh, James 1.12, you withstand temptation and you're going to get the crown of life. Uh, Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4.8, the crown of righteousness. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the crown of rejoicing. I don't know. I really don't. There's a lot of people that put forth a whole lot of stuff I don't know if it's all the same crown, different crowns. I don't know if, you know, I think my wife's going to have a big crown with jewels all in it for putting up with me. The crown of putting up with Greg, you know. And, and, but, but I'm just telling you, there is godly rewards for being faithful and hupotassoing underneath the chief shepherd and doing it according to what he put in place in the universe and not continuing in our rebellion. See, because rebellion is from the devil. It's the sin of witchcraft. When we rebel against the order that God has placed, it's the sin of witchcraft. We're supposed to come underneath the authorities and abide underneath those that are obeying God. And there's a lot of other um, sermons that can be had from that. But right now we're talking about the leadership of the church that should be examples. And they should do it because it's a calling and doing it by the Spirit of God. And then they'll receive a crown that does not fade away. And then he moves on. He, he, it's same subject, same flock, same people. In verse 5 he says, Likewise, you younger people... Now he points them out. Could be younger in age, younger in maturity, but he tells them to submit yourself to your elders. See, because each place is going to have specific elders. And that's our word hupotasso again. He's talking about likewise, which means in the same way. It can be a young woman, a young man. It's somebody that's fresh or new to the faith. You should hupotasso. 
subordinate yourself reflexively. It's a military term. Get in line where you're supposed to be. And see, the point is, is when you humble yourself and you come underneath the authority, then in due time, God exalts you because of your faithfulness of following his order. It doesn't mean that your authority is perfect. It means that you're coming underneath the authority of God's mighty hand. And that's what he's getting ready to say to us. But you're supposed to subject yourself to that. Do you know the... uh, Here I go again, I get in lots of trouble. And and, and I'm not speaking against any youth. I'm not speaking against anybody that's younger. I'm not speaking in anybody that's new. But but what we have going on, and we've had it going on for years and years and years, at least the whole time I've been in the church, is that the, the children or the youth or somebody that's just got a degree in college and they're young and they're fresh and they got good knees, that we automatically let them come in and change what's going on. And that's upside down for the church. The older women and the older men are supposed to teach the younger men and younger women how to walk in the faith, how to be chaste, how to be humble, how to follow God and disciple them. And yet we go, well, yeah, they're young and they got some good ideas and they're more in tune with the culture. So let's let them come in and do some stuff. And then all of a sudden we're all sidetracked and we wonder what's going on. But we've walked away from just a simple teaching of the full counsel of God. And we begin to let them come up with new ideas to win people to Jesus. We've never been able to come up with ideas. You can't do anything in the flesh. You cannot do anything to get people saved other than share the word of God with them and let the spirit of God do what he's doing. And yet we have all across the nation, uh, the youth running churches. And then we say, why is it so far away from the Bible? Well, that's because sewn into the youth is a lot of fancy ideas. I don't know about you, but when I was 20, I knew everything. When I was 40, I thought, man, I don't know as much as I did when I was 20. I must have forgot some stuff. But now I realize how much I don't know instead of looking at what I think I do know. I realize how vast the universe is, and how big the grace of God is. And again, coming back to Hupotasso, God rewards faithfulness. God lifts up those that will abide under, because what's the problem? The pride of the devil has us all thinking, we know, and I should be the boss, and I should be running things, and I should be the one telling everybody what to do. And God says, no, humble yourself in my sight. Come to me as knowing that you have nothing. Let me sow my life into you through other people that have been doing that. And then I will lift you up. I will create in you the heart that I want you to have. I will give you the gifts that I want. But you have to come knowing that you have nothing to give but an empty vessel. And so I have a problem when we, and don't get me wrong, the, the younger, the, the youth, the new people can be involved, but they can't design and create and change and go, what if we did this and we advertised on, on Craigslist and tried to get people into the church? It might sound good. You might not want to say no as a pastor, but you have to say no. 
because budgets, buildings, and business principles do not work in the kingdom of God. It's all upside downward from that. It's literally God who is building the church. He does it through people who submit to the word of God and align themselves military ranking underneath the ones that he's already put in place, and then it's handed down. It's handed out. It's given over. And he recreates who you are in the spirit so that now you can go out and represent him as an example of godliness that doesn't think you know everything. And I wish I knew everything I thought I knew when I was 20. I just wish I knew it. But we see it in kids. I mean, I don't know if you've ever, if you had kids, you know that most of the time they'll argue with you and think they know better when you're telling them not to run out in front of a car. Oh, no, but I, I won't get hit. I won't get hit. I'll be all right. I'll be okay. I'll be fine. And that's the mentality that we're trying to deal with here is that we come and we're eager and we want to do and we want to go, but we don't really know that the enemy will kill you. The enemy will destroy you. And that's where he's going to get to right here. He's, he's going to get to all of this. He's leading up to this. He's saying, don't be too haughty. Don't be too proud, but humble yourself because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. I mean, he tells you what to do, but he's building up for that of why we need to come underneath the authority, why we need to listen, why we need to, do, to follow what God is saying because he already knows the spiritual realm. So I am not picking on younger people. I get in this type of trouble uh, for saying it, but it's the scriptures. I'm not apologizing for the scriptures. It says, younger people, hupotasso yourself to your elders. Be available. Be useful. Learn and grow. Let an elder sow into you. And then here's the, the disclaimer that the word of God gives. Yes, all of you hupotasso to one another. It's not like you, because you're younger, you come and you submit underneath an elder and you go, <clears throat> dang it, I have to obey until I get to be older. No, we're all still submitting to one another's gifting. We're all the same body of Christ. I mean, I'm not showing you my kneecap right now, but it's still here. It's part of my body. And I can't walk through here unless it quits hurting, unless, unless it bends and flex properly. It's all part of the body, every bit of us. But we have to all have our own part and do our own part. You'd be freaking out if I was up here teaching with my knee. I am teaching with my knee, by the way. So anyway. But the body's there for a reason. And as it learns to submit, everybody learns to come underneath authority. I was telling my son yesterday that, you know, I had this, and I've told you guys, this three-time rule with Tom Camp. I had a three-time rule. If he'd tell me to do something, and I know that, that I'm rebellious. So I'd say, uh, okay, and I'd keep moving. I'd wait for him to tell me again. I'd say, Tom, we don't need to dig holes. The holes are going to fill up with water. We're not even putting up a fence. And he'd go, Greg, go dig holes. And the third time he'd tell me, I'd go dig holes, regardless of what the outcome was. Because I'm telling you right now that if your heart is to be faithful to God and to follow the leadership that you're under that is being biblical, that is looking to save souls, and they're not just all the way outside uh, and crazy, it, that God will reward a heart of faithfulness even when you're doing the wrong thing. As opposed to a bad heart that is doing it only for their own gain. 
They're doing it because, oh, yeah, yeah, if we dig some holes, then people will think I'm being faithful. And if I just dig them holes, it doesn't matter. You're doing it for the wrong reason. When, you're, when you have a motive in your heart that is to get you someplace, you're not really humbling yourself. You're not really hupotassoing. And I've been asked to do many, many, many things. I remember when I first hired on at Harvest, uh, I was asked to come and, and do the prison ministry and, and, and uh, wasn't there the first week and we had just bought an old topless bar and Tom said, I need you to head up the construction of this building. I'm like, Tom, you hired me for prison ministry because I was so ready to go do prison ministry. He's like, no, I need you in this building. And so I spent two years of my life tearing out walls and rebuilding a building. And I was like, this stinks. I want to be out there with people and doing prison ministry. But I learned a lot when as I look back and reflect and, and all the people that volunteered and working with people. This is what the body of Christ is about, people. And uh, submitting to the authority is something that is missing because we just go, okay, well, I went to seminary and now I'm a pastor. No, no, you're not. Not unless you're called by God. You can't have another man tell you you're a pastor because they gave you some certificate. The gifting of God is from the Spirit of God for the glory of God. It's not given out by some worldly school that teaches you about the Bible. It's just simply not. Now, I'm not saying that everybody that went to seminary, we call them cemeteries most of the time because dead men's bones are there. Uh, I'm not telling you that everybody goes to seminary is not called by God. There's people that are called by God and they think that they can be helped by going to seminary. And they do. Um, but for the most part, a piece of paper means nothing. It's not worth the ink that's written on it if God didn't call you to be a pastor. If God isn't teaching you the word of God, if you're not being led by the spirit, you're building some worldly institution that is going to burn. So, again, everybody in the body of Christ has its place, but God tells us to hupotasso, find out what your orderly ranking is. Find out where you're supposed to be. Find out your gifting. Are you a leg? Are you a foot? Are you a mouth? What part are you supposed to be doing in the body of Christ? I was used forever as, as the gift of administration. I was used for a long time uh, with the gift of helps where I could actually learn a lot of things and do a lot of things. Um, and I believe in the faithfulness of doing that, I was called to start my own church that God is still working on and he's still working on me. It's not that I've arrived anywhere. Um, but I'm still looking to submit myself to God and to learn his word. And um, he says, submissive to one another. You know, there's times when people, when we're having a pitch-in dinner and somebody might, and I'll say, well, we're going to have chili. And somebody go, well, can't we have hamburgers? And I say, sure, let's have hamburgers. You know? There's no reason to argue about it. It's not that big a deal. It's not about the food. It's what it's really about is our fellowship. It's not about what we're eating, you know, or, hey, let's get, well, why don't we do this? Okay, let's do that. As long as it's not something that's going to be evil or, or it's something where you're allowing somebody just to always have their way because they're arguing and because they talk too much, it's nothing wrong with being submissive to one another and allowing everybody's gift and everybody to have a part 
But at the end of the day, we're all called to hupotasso underneath the chief shepherd. He's the one that's going to give out rewards. He's the one that knows your heart. He's the one that knows why you do what you do. He's the one that we have to surrender to. And that's why we want to stay in the word of God. So submit to one another and be so one another ministry. It's a huge ministry in the body of Christ. And be clothed or arm yourself with humility. Lowliness. Humility. And I know, listen, I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. Humility. Moses was called the humblest man in the Bible. It means a humbleness or a humiliation of mind. Um, Moses was the humblest man in the Bible. And no matter what his ideas were, no matter what he was doing, no matter what was going on, when God said, do this, he did this. That's why he was called humble. He put God's will before his will. He put God's ways before his ways. Did he mess up? Yes. There's times when he weren't, wasn't being too humble. He struck a rock twice. Must we strike this rock? And he hit it again when God told him to speak to it. He messed up that huge type of Christ who only died once, who was only beaten once. And here he's hitting that rock twice. I mean, that really messed up God's analogy, but God allowed it. I find that amazing, by the way. But he didn't get to go into the promised land. He had to be buried on the wrong side of the Jordan. And Joshua led him into the promised land. Which is amazing because Joshua means Jesus or Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Anyway, humility. Arm yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. You don't have to always be right. It's, it, being submissive and having humility is a sign of maturity. How do we know when you're no longer young? Well, when you can receive rebuke, when you can uh, be humble, when you can come underneath the authority that's over you, that is teaching you to be mature. Well, why should we arm ourselves? Why should we clothe ourselves? Why should we be humble in all that we do? You know what? I want to go to Philippians. I'm sorry. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Excuse me, chapter 2. Paul writing to the church in Macedonia, the church in Philippi, where him and Silas were in prison. And he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ to one, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, that's that koinonia of the Spirit that we should have together if we're looking to, to hupotasso to one another, if we're looking to be uh, uh, do the work of the ministry so souls can be saved. If any affection and mercy, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, put on the mind of Christ, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then this is where I wanted to get you to. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Listen, we're not working on careers. It's not your ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, in humility of the mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If we would all esteem others more important than ourselves, the ground would be level at the cross. We would always have somebody else before us, and we'd always be serving. And then he says this in 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That you would be concerned with every decision you make, it's deciding something and affecting the people around you. 
So we're supposed to be concerned about others. That's the one another ministry. We're supposed to be concerned about our example. And what when I do this in my own interest, in my own desire, am I being led by the Spirit? Because it's going to teach others that this is what this is what Christians do. This is how they act. So the whole body of Christ is called to be a witness and an example and an ambassador for Christ in this manner. And we are supposed to arm ourselves with humility. And then he says, why? Right here it is in, in five. Five, God resists the proud. But he gives grace or favor to the humble. When you bow down and you're looking and saying, Lord, I want a hupotasso underneath what you've called me to do, what you created me for. I want to be the part of the body that I'm supposed to be. When you are humbling yourself into that place, then God is going to give you favor. He's going to give you more grace. He's going to use your life, but he resists the proud. And it's interesting because he tells us to resist the devil. Because that's where pride comes from. Resist. It means um, to oppose. God resists. He opposes the proud. In fact, if you're called to be in a certain military ranking and stand in that place and you decide you want to go up further or you want to go someplace else, you are actually resisting God. You're opposing God. So he's going to give you what you sow. He's going to resist you and oppose you. Because you won't go stand in the place you're supposed to be. Think about that if you were just in a physical military. And the general keeps telling you attention or stand there and you're doing what you want to do. I mean, even in a physical military, they're going to arrest you and throw you into the, to the brig. You're going to suffer punishment for not listening to the commander because you're going to leave other people out there in a place where they're going to get killed by the enemy. And that's why it's so important that we know our gifts, we know our talents, we know what we're called to do, that we've committed our soul to a faithful God in doing His good and and going out and do the ministry of reconciliation of souls His way so that we're not leaving other people out there for the enemy to destroy them. Resist means to range and battle against. And, and I don't want God to be against me. Don't we want to be for God? Didn't we come back to the salvation of God? Aren't we back into the family of God? I mean, that's it. So, so to resist God or have God resist me because... I have my own ideas, and this is what I think, and this is what I want, and I don't care. The Bible might say that, but I'm going to. Yeah, you know, I have people for years that will say, well, that's what Greg says the Bible means, but I don't believe that. Wait a minute. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You don't have to agree with me, but if you're disagreeing with God, you're opposing God. 
And that's how you end up in hell, is opposing God. But I want His grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I want His grace and His mercy. So as Moses did, I want to try to obey Him in every place to hupotasso under His order of things and to obey Him in every place that I can. And part of obeying God is confessing when you're not. Part of obeying God is when he clicks a light on and says, light shines on, reveal, uncovered. You go, oh my goodness. That was really crazy. Why was I doing that? Why was I resisting that person or not doing that thing when that was where God put in my life on purpose so that I would hupotasso under and he could lift me up and he would train me in the work of the ministry. Therefore, verse 6, humble yourselves under, that's hupo, not tasso, but under the mighty hand of God, the powerful hand of God. You know what's amazing? And again, God's a spirit. He really doesn't have a hand. He does in Christ, his human form. But God took the oceans in his hand and he meted them out. Think about that hand that he's asking you. Think about how powerful it is if you could just go a little bit of water here, and then I'll get the Pacific over here. Let me get over the Mediterranean. And that's his hand that he's asking you to, to, to humble yourself under. He's got the world's water in his hand as he's creating it, the psalm says. Now, really, he doesn't have a hand, but he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And, and, and he's faithful. Even when you're faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny himself. So it's really easy for me to commit my life, to commit my spirit, to commit my all to him and hupotasso underneath this mighty hand of God. And, and listen, listen, because you might have a different thought in your head. Well, God says, and the Bible says, and that one preacher said that the Bible said, but you know what Fauci said? Fauci said you better wear a mask. Fauci said wear two. And we might need to wear glasses because it could get in your eyes. Listen to me. The only reason I'm saying that and I'm bringing it up because it's right on the landscape of everything right now. But are you going to follow faith or are you going to follow Fauci? Are you going to follow God's word or are you going to follow the world? See, the world, 1 John 5, 19, I know you're of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. And all I want you to do, the wicked one, is not to believe God. Just like with Eve. Did God really say God knows that he's holding out on you. And if you just do what I'm telling you, then you'll be like God. But God tells us the exact opposite. If you'll humble yourself and stop resisting me, I already created you in the image of God. But because your first father, Adam, didn't listen, now you're born with a sin nature. But now if you'll believe me and hear my voice, you'll believe in my provision, I'll recreate you into the image of myself. See, that's all he's doing. He's bringing us back into his image. But his image, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's a, it, it's, it's a trichotomy. And so we have to understand what he's doing, get involved in what he's doing, hupotasso underneath his natural order of things. Oh, I don't believe that that's going on, Greg. Well, you believe in the law of gravity? God put it in the earth. Go jump off a house. I bet you fall. I bet you that if you humble yourself 
that God will give you grace and he will change your life. If you humble yourself, what's the first thing I need to do to humble myself? Believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Stop listening to the liars and stay running with the proud and just believe what God is saying about life. Just believe what God has provided as a provision, the blood of Jesus. Humble yourself and listen to his voice and say yes. And I guarantee you, he lifts you up out of the grave. He'll lift you up out of death. He'll lift you up into heaven. He'll, he'll take you higher and higher and change the way you think. He'll change the things you desire. He'll open blind eyes and lead you into heaven and his family. And he'll give you a crown forever. Humble yourself under his mighty hand that he may exalt you in due time, due season. When that time comes, he's preparing you for that time. Casting all your care, your anxiety, your worry upon him for he cares for you. And that's simply where we'll end at. You cast your cares. There's two different words. It looks like the same word. Cast your cares because he cares. Two different words. Your, the first one, casting your cares is anxiety and worry. It's actually got the connotation of through the idea of distraction. What do you have that's distracting you from hupotassoing? What do you have that's distracting you from serving God? What do you have? You can just cast it. You say, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to do the natural. Let him do the supernatural. And then he says, because God cares for you. And simply it means... He has an interest. He's concerned. It matters to God. Whatever you're going through right now matters to God. He cares. He cares so much that he sent his son to die for you and raise again on the third day. It matters to him, and he wants to talk with you about it. And all you have to do is come, and he says, come and reason with me. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Your life matters so much that he gave his most prized possession so that you would not have to spend eternity in hell separated from him. It simply matters. Every little thing. Listen to me. There's nothing big in your life to God. If he can take the waters and meet them out, if he's a mighty hand of God, there's nothing big to him. It's only big to you. Nothing big to God. Cast all your cares, everything that's going on in your life, say, here it is, Lord. I'm going to lay it down at your cross, and I'm not going to pick it up again. And I'm going to ask for your wisdom, and I'm going to allow your word, and I'm going to humble myself and trust you, come underneath your authority, and trust that you're going to take care of this no matter what it is. I'm going to cast all my care upon you because you care for me. And I know that because you already gave me your most prized possession. Listen. Where else can you go? Oh, you can go running off and look for some more answers, but there's an adversary out there, the devil, trying to kill you. And we'll talk about that next week, God willing. But you may read 5, 8 through the end of the chapter, and we'll try to finish up and kind of look it over and see what it says to you. But there is a war going on for your soul. There's a war going on for every single care in your life, every single decision you make. There's a war whether you'll listen to what God's word says and humble yourself and obey him or whether you'll listen to what the world says and obey them. And it proves who your father is. And the war has already been won. The battle's over. 
Jesus wanted on the cross. The enemy has been defeated. His camp is empty. He has no power anymore. And all you have to do is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's the hand that still has the scars in it. Remember the song we sang before service? His scars will be the only man-made thing in heaven is the scars in Jesus' hands. We'll have brand new bodies. But his scars will still be in his hand to remind us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling us out of darkness. Give us a desire to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Lord. Help us to see the pride, the arrogance, the rebellion, and help us to humble ourselves in your sight so that you can lift us up. Please do not oppose us or resist us, Lord. Help us to have your desires in your ways and desire to be the people of God you've called by your name. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I